0: Welcome to Believer Radio, a companion soundtrack to our 2023 music issue, produced in collaboration with BFF.FM. My name is Daniel Gambiner, and I'm the editor of The Believer, a quarterly arts and culture magazine published by McSweeney's in San Francisco. For this project, we've asked a handful of our contributors to DJ hour-long sets of music related to the articles they wrote for the issue. To view the full offering of DJ sets, please visit bff.fm slash believer. And to subscribe to The Believer and support more projects like this one, please visit thebeliever.net slash subscribe.
1: My name's Casey Jarman, and I'm a writer and contributing editor with The Believer. For this year's music issue, I wrote a piece about the Austin, Texas band that you just heard, Meet Joy. They put out one self-titled album in 1984 that had a big influence both on their local scene and on experimental and activist music for years to come. The band operated as a collective, incorporating audiences directly into their live shows and in their album art creation. They played basements and clubs and art galleries. And I liked the record because it's ambitious, but in a way that feels really personal and removed from the commercial realities of the music industry. Listening to the Meet Joy album on repeat for my review, I was really struck by this sense of freedom and collaboration that the band embodied. And reading about Austin, Texas in 1984, a place with cheap rent and a weird mix of rednecks and esoteric artists, It really took me back to moving to Portland, Oregon in 2005. And it really took me back to going to house shows. The same basic conditions of Meat Joy's Austin were in play in Portland. Affordable rent, plentiful practice space, and a healthy dose of grassroots activism. A lot of musicians I knew were part-time bartenders or baristas, and that was often enough to make ends meet, if they drank cheap beer and mostly rode their bikes around town. Some acts, like the Decembrists, the Thermals and Yacht, could pack local venues and headline national tours. Some bands never reached that level. And then there were other artists that just operated in an entirely different ecosystem. They played shows that were more like community get-togethers, usually all ages, usually pretty small. Maybe it's worth noting that draconian liquor laws and economic realities collide pretty hard in Portland to this day. On the surface, all-ages shows have always been something of a rarity here. But young artists and bands with underage audiences find a way. In my first five or six years in Portland, there were all-ages venues on the fringes of the music scene, like Artistery, Food Hole, Backspace, and Laughing Horse Books. And then there were house venues. They had names like Brain Stains, Deacon Manor, The Pink House, The Green House, and Duckets. Shows that these house venues didn't always sound great, but they were intimate and they were magical. In my early years in Portland, I saw bands in terrible-smelling punk house basements, where the walls drip sweat, and I saw twee indie folk sets in pristine living rooms. Often these shows were free or sliding scale, or a friend of the band would come around and ask for donations. And to me, there was always something really utopian about this arrangement, where a stranger would let you into their home, and by and large, nothing terrible would happen. These shows were a testament to trust and community, And that I didn't have a license and would often walk across town to get to them makes them all the more charmed in my memory. I'm a lifelong Oregonian, and I've lived in Portland for almost two decades now. I still love it here, but often I'm sentimental for a time when the city seemed blissfully unaware of itself. Before the food scene became a known quantity, before Fred and Carrie did Portlandia, and way before this place became every right-wing firebrand's favorite example of what's wrong with America. So in the next hour, I'm going to play a handful of songs from that era of Northwest music, from bands that were cornerstones of my personal house show experience. This is in no way representative of the breadth of music that was happening then. It's just bands and songwriters that scratched a niche for me. It's songs that bring back a lot of sentimental feelings about a really fruitful and hopeful time in Portland. And I'll be talking with a few friends from the music scene back then, too. All of them, it turns out, are still making music. That was Alan Singley with Linoleum, Grey Ann with Adelaide, and Starfucker with Ronald Gregory Erickson II. I talked a little with Randy Bemrose, a longtime Portland musician who played with bands like Sexton Blake, Radiation City, the Shakespearean metal outfit Dagger of the Mind, and in his excellent solo project Junk Face. Randy's a quiet guy. He's tall and handsome with intense eyes and a mischievous smile. You can catch him behind the scenes with Starfucker, putting on elaborate light shows. But when he's actually on stage, his low-key demeanor transforms, and he becomes a creative and sometimes destructive force. In the mid to late 2000s, Randy ran The Greenhouse in northeast Portland.
2: I asked him about it. Well, um, I mean, uh, I I guess at the time, uh, a big draw for me was just um like diving into the community and seeing all these groups that were like just forming or had you know were just be- becoming established that i didn't know yeah it was kind of just a a way to to get to know those people to like both foster that community and also like ingratiate myself to it and you know try and get up inside it <laughs>
1: I asked Randy if he was ever worried about letting strangers into his house.
2: When we would have bands in the basement, I built like a a big shelving unit where I could put all the valuables and then I would literally screw like a plywood, uh, a big sheet of plywood to just like block it completely off. And I tried to, um, I don't know, go out of my way to like, you know, focus on the, the show part of things and like be a good host, just like show uh, care and respect to the, um, both to the artists, but also the, you know, the fans or the people that were just coming to watch the show, you know, whether that was making a big pot of curry or passing out occasional cookies or um, yeah, whatever it was, I kind of just tried to go a little bit above and beyond the, the usual house party thing to, yeah, make everybody feel comfortable, um, but also, you know, show them that, like, I was respecting the house and them and everything that was going on. So, like, kind of hoping if I extended that olive branch and, like, made everything nice that people would treat it nice.
1: (laughs) One of Randy's favorite memories was hosting an early show at the greenhouse where he invited guests to help him demolish a structural barrier in his basement. He had two takers who between them left one gaping headbutt wound in the drywall. That was also the night that he first saw Lauren K. Newman, a Portland legend, playing live.
2: And she did double duty that show. Um she played drums for Gigi Joe, this like Pensacola group, and she played the set completely naked. Um and then she played a set of LKN music, which was like the most ferocious front womaning that i'd like ever seen like threw her guitar down on the ground and then was like like dry humping it while she was finger tapping a solo um you know she had that like really long wild hair whipping it around i was like jesus christ this woman is an absolute monster
3: This Monterey, it's been a ghostly
4: day. The blood in my mouth, singing drive me south,
3: and just south to stay.
4: Close my eyes. And I see
3: mountains for the longest of roads Threading through their toes.
1: That was the late Lauren K. Newman's LKN with Odyssey into the void, playing every instrument herself and the late Ray Raposa's band, Castanets, with This Is Early in the Game, featuring a host of special guests, including those sweet backing vocals from Phosphorescence Matthew Houck. Those are two different, really unique songwriters that I count myself lucky to have seen and talked with on a few occasions. They traveled the world with their music, but Portland will always claim them. Now for a band I miss often, but whose members are thankfully all still with us, though they are strewn about the country working on farms and in laboratories. This is Olympia Washington's Kickball with Pocket Knife.
4: Found a pocket knife on one night always
1: I used to be the music editor at one of Portland's two alt-weeklies, so I got to see a lot of really great bands. But Kickball's shows were transcendent. I still consider them the best, or at the very least, the most cathartic live band I've ever seen. They were mathy, nerdy, vulnerable, and always just teetering on the edge of some restrained jamming. Their shows were absolutely breathless, mostly because everyone in the audience was screaming along to every word. Drummer Lisa Schonberg, who would go on to play with similarly legendary Portland party band Explode Into Colors and with the secret drum band, still misses those days. We talked a bit about the origins of kickball, and it turns out the band starts in a punk house in Olympia, Washington.
5: I lived in a house um, with a few friends who actually I lived on the East Coast with. Um, so we started a house in Olympia, um, with some people we had met through Evergreen, so it was like this big punk house kind of situation that we started. I, I, I guess it's, you call it a punk house. It was called Houseopolis. It was the first of like five Houseopolises. The the house had a name, Houseopolis, because it just everyone's house had a name, and we had meetings there. Like we were involved in media activism a lot because we were involved in a pirate radio station then called Free Radio Olympia. We'd have meetings at our house. Asopolis. Jacob Wilson, the eventual singer of Kickball, was playing in a band with my housemates called La Di Da, and I loved La Di Da. And they were like just goofy, it was just so goofy. And I sometimes sat in on drums. And they they had this song Coyote that Jacob had written. I And I would sit on for that song specifically. And that became one of the first kickball songs ever. And I kept telling Jacob I wanted to have a band with him. And he was like, there's this guy, Adam, in my puppetry class at Evergreen. I think he wants to make a band, too. So that's how it started. And um, we practiced on Sundays after um, this kickball game that would happen down the street from our house. Like a bunch of people, greener folks and other this friends from the community. We'd all get together. And it was like a strong game. I feel like in recent years when I try to put together a softball game or a kickball game, you don't even have enough people for one team. But it was like a good showing. And we'd do that game. And then we go downtown to Food Not Bombs. And then we come back up to the house and have kickball practice, band practice. That's how it got that name. So that's how it started.
1: Kickball was a band that was uniquely gifted at playing house shows. They really fed off a crowd's energy and repaid it in kind. They dissolved the barriers between artist and performer.
5: It was part of what made a good show. And then um, we really wanted that when we played regular, regular, quote, venues. So I remember Holocene actually was like one of the first times, maybe the first time I ever played Holocene. I think it was with Chevron. And uh, I remember getting there and Jacob... I think it was it was either Jacob or Adam, because I remember liking it but never being the one to insist on it, but always appreciating it. But they insisted that we play on the floor. And I remember we were just like, okay, we're going to piss off the sound person that is just like a given. They're not going to like it because they're going to say that we're going to feed back and it might happen a little bit, but we'll control it. And it never really happened that much. Like, we knew how to position ourselves and if the sound person was willing to work with us, it worked fine. And so even when it wasn't at a house show, we liked to have that energy.
1: Kickball never really broke up, but they haven't played in over a decade. They still get emails, Lisa calls them love letters, about once a month. And she connects that back to the kind of shows that Kickball played and the kind of connections that their tours created.
5: I'd say there was always a friend connection and community connection that ended up making the house show happen, even if it was a friendship that started over a a chat board online. And there was this intention around it. It was like, it felt like it was the beginning of a relationship building whenever you played a house show. It felt like, okay, now we know each other. Like, when's your band coming through? Can we set you up in our town? When we come again, can we do this again? Like, um, Or like, you know, there was always whose house you're staying at. So it wasn't just the show. It was going and hanging out and staying at someone's house and the next morning going out to breakfast somewhere amazing or having it made in someone's house, perhaps exploring around the town. I remember when we toured in Europe, there was always like late night running around these beautiful cities getting like tours from new friends we'd made. It was really community building. And I'm not just saying that, like it was like a lot of the community I have today was built then or is built from that, stems from that. Like, we literally, like, exchanged band pen pal letters with a band in France named Clara Clara, like, mail, snail mail, to get to know them in order to decide whether we'd swap tours together. This is an idea our friend Natalia and the band The Good Good, who's already done with this band, Chocolate Billy. And we're like, that sounds a great idea. We want to do that. What French band should we become friends with? She suggested Clara Clara. We became pen pals, and then we said, Let's do this. And so they set up a tour for us. We set up a tour for them. And we did this twice, I mean, at least Europe twice with them, and they came to the US once. And so we showed them around the whole country. Like we went to the Grand Canyon, and we went to all these places. And it was like a, the commitment was larger than the shows. And so it makes sense that when we actually played the show, there was like this I don't know, there's this like energy that everyone was putting in. Of course, people had bad days, you know, were in bad moods sometimes or whatever, but, like, there was this energy that was uh, built by the collective energy of everyone, so and the audience was such a huge part of it.
6: Up in the window looking in I saw you with a violin and you played a tune you wrote yourself when you were still you looked like a portrait of someone who cared And you looked like a portrait of someone who dared I'm not afraid of what I did, I only tried to be myself When I looked at you I thought the same But you were always someone else Though you looked like a portrait of someone who cared And you looked like a portrait of someone who dared Hours pass so many times, you'd have thought that I was blind, and hours passed so many times, you'd have thought that I was blind, and hours passed so many times you'd have thought that I was blind, and hours passed When you were still in middle school And you looked like a portrait of someone who cared And you looked like a portrait of someone who dared And you looked like a portrait of someone who dared
1: That was Dear Nora, who preceded and was an influence on a lot of the artists that I'm talking about today, with You Looked Like a Portrait. Eskimo and Sons and Typhoon were star-crossed Portland bands from the start. Danielle Sullivan and Kyle Morton, aside from being two of the sweetest and most talented people in the local music scene, are expecting their first child this fall. But when they first met, they were just out of high school and their lives were a bit more chaotic. We recently chatted amongst friends on the sidewalk patio of the restaurant De Noche on the park blocks in downtown Portland. There's nowhere to play. We play like Tonic Lounge or something, they'd
7: kick us out right after the set or yeah. play any of the clubs would just kick us out, so we started doing house shows.
8: Yeah. And I feel like ninety eight percent of our shows for many years were all in basements. Yeah. in houses. Yeah. That were yep. yeah. not safe for human
7: <laughs> yeah. life yeah. a lot of asbestos a <laughs> uh,
1: lot of asbestos a
8: lot of asbestos a lot of fire hazards yeah. a lot of yeah cramming a hundred kids in a 10 foot space
1: but on the flip side <laughs> they were magical yeah on the flip
8: side yeah. it was the best place to be it was yeah. the best place to grow up
7: yeah it was it was really cool because it was, there was so much just like imitation happening like i remember there was a band called kickball Uh, which like was a huge part of all of this. They're from Olympia. And we played this random show in a dojo. Typhoon played this random show in a dojo in Eugene with them and then befriended those guys. And then they were also friends with this band Lake. And so our band started going up to Olympia and playing shows and helping them. Typhoon had like 12 people and a whole brass section. So they're like, hmm, can we hire your trumpet section? I guess the rest of you guys can come up too, but we really just want your trumpet section.
4: I'm
3: ready. <laughs> In
4: my vessel.
3: i
8: There'd be like 12 people living in a house, yeah. house shows going on every weekend.
7: And we were already practicing at these houses, so it kind of was streamlined. Um, Gungle Dungeon, they did shows there. Oh
8: yeah, Gungle Dungeon was my room band's room. house. Yeah.
1: And you put on shows there too. It yeah. was just like, if you have a practice space, it's going to double exactly. as a show space.
8: Yeah. If you have a living room,
1: Yeah.
8: you have a venue.
1: Yeah, yeah. especially for the underage crowd.
8: Yeah, and God bless all those landlords that... We're open to having their
7: houses trashed. I don't know how... I don't know how we got away with it. Even, like, we had this apartment we rented. Like This was really nice. I don't know what that person was smoking when they let
1: us <laughs> sign the lease. Because you're just a bunch of kids. We trashed like, a oh, lot of houses.
7: Yeah. yeah, You threw a couch off
3: the
8: balcony. Yeah. I was oh, going to say,
1: I'm sure you didn't trash the houses. Not Kyle.
7: Not usually me, yeah. A lot of me coming out in my bathrobe and telling people, like, stop fighting
1: or, like, stop... <laughs> You know, yeah, mm. and then you fell in love. <laughs> the end. <laughs> and
8: then we fell in love
1: in the basements of Portland.
8: Yeah, that's and true. Basements
1: of Portland. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then, um,
7: yeah. Um, rest is history. And then and then we turned twenty one. I guess. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess exactly. that's kind of what happened there. Is the bands eventually yeah. became to a point where we were starting to play small clubs and um getting monitor systems at the small, like you know, having being on good sound systems and. Yeah. It, um you know I'm sure there's I know there's a house scene going on in Portland now we're just we wouldn't know about it it's yeah. like the Polar Express which you've never read we just decided we figured this out but like you can't hear yeah, the exactly. bell anymore we're just, just yeah you
3: can on me do you on me you 10 fingers as many Come back.
1: two songs you heard there were Kyle's band Typhoon with their song Starting Over, and Danielle's band Eskimo and Sons with No Shit. Here are two more tracks Nurses with Caterpillar Playground, and Holland Andrews' project Like a Villain with AOK.
6: Like the way it was before.
7: Something about the intimacy of being in a basement or or wherever in a house—it's just a different vibe. It's just like a different energy. It's more, often better, like more more energy. I liked. I love house shows. I think it's really fun. I love you know a venue. You can't you can't replicate that sort of thing in a venue, I guess. Plus, like it makes for cool photos because it's like. probably usually like a dark basement. And so, you know, maybe I have like a, can pop off a, a flash or something and make something really cool. And you've got like a picture of the band, but also people standing right next to the band while they're playing, which, you know, you don't get that in a venue. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I love how it
1: shows. That was Portland photographer Jason Quigley, who for the past 20 years has been documenting the music scene here in Portland. You can check out his work at photojq.com. That's about going to do it for me. Uh, again, my name is Casey Jarman, and I really appreciate everybody going down this weird rabbit hole of mid-2000s Northwest music with me. Um, again, none of this is you know comprehensive in any way. Uh, this is like a love letter to artists that I couldn't get enough of um, in a really important time of my life in a place that I feel very connected to. So if nothing else, I hope that Maybe you connected with an artist or two that you hadn't heard before today, or better yet, I hope uh, you're inspired to check out a DIY venue or uh, independent artist or record label that's right in your backyard. All these things are still happening. Um, Independent music will always be, and um, I hope that you have the, the joy of experiencing it for yourself Yeah, I'm going to close things out with a song from one of my very favorite Portland bands ever. And also, I think Henry Rollins, like one of his favorite bands. Uh, This is Point Juncture, Washington with Happy Ending.
7: Am I gonna be the weird old guy? Like, I don't know if I feel comfortable.
1: Like, who invited their dad? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there was always a cool, weird old guy or old gal at those shows. Who you know, like, there the was, old was old always guys. like- Yeah, that's true. Oh, there, was was one there an old gal? Still goes to the show. No, you're right. No, you're right. It was always guys. It was always guys. Right. It's, it's always, always, always guy. yeah. yeah. true. It was always one old guy. Always with the ponytail, he yes. used to kind of dance yes. a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He still goes to Mississippi, I think, right? Uh-huh. At least did before.
0: Thank you for listening to Believer Radio. To find more DJ hours, please visit bff.fm/believer, and to subscribe to the Believer, please go to thebeliever.net/slash-subscribe. Our producer and engineer is Claire Mullen. Many thanks to the staff of the Believer: Rita Bullwinkle, Justin Carter, Annie Dills, Ginger Green, Kim Hugh Low, Lucy Huber. Heidi Julevitz, Ed Park, Raj Thani, Sunra Thompson, Amanda Yuli, Vendela Vida, Dan Weiss, Sally Wen Mao, and James Ye. Huge thank you also to our collaborators on this project, bff.fm. To make a donation to them and support community radio, please go to bff.fm slash donate.